uh, general and leader for the people of Jerusalem, the first thing that we see him do is weeping on his knees to pray. That's the first thing that he does. We see that this man proves himself to be a person of prayer. We see it in this chapter here in verses 4 to 11, he's praying because of the state of Jerusalem. In chapter two, he prays during the conversation with the king. In chapter four, he's praying when he's being taunted and ridiculed. In chapter four, again, he's praying after he's attacked by enemies. In chapter six, he's praying, responding to threats. In chapter 13, he's reflecting and praying on the actions of his enemies. In chapter 5 and chapter 11, in three different places, he's reflecting and praying on his own efforts, about his own efforts in serving God. In 13 chapters, he's praying 10 times. This is a man of prayer. This is a leader who goes to God first. This isn't COVID. (coughs) It's just... Excuse me. So, he's a person of prayer. Last week, we learned that reformation has to do with a real reverence of God's word. I'd like to suggest this week that true reformation begins with prayer. So, Nehemiah, one of the most powerful people in Babylon, breaks down in tears. He's mourning for what's being uh, his, the well-being of his people, the walls. Um, these walls symbolize strength that keeps them protected from raids. Um, he's also mourning the fact of the difficulty that has come their way in their attempts to rebuild. And so while Nehemiah has lived in Babylon his whole life, never been in Jerusalem, he longs for Jerusalem. And so he mourns. He longs to see this, um, the um, Jewish national identity to be rebuilt. He longs to see the glory of God in the temple. He longs to see the removal of shame. And so when he hears that things are bad, obviously he mourns. Um, in the book on Nehemiah, a guy by the name of Alan Redpath, he writes this. <clears throat> Let us learn this lesson from Nehemiah. You never lighten the load unless you first have felt the pressure in your own soul. You never are, you are never used of God to bring blessing until God has opened your eyes and made you see the things as they are. There is no other preparation for Christian work than this. Nehemiah was called to build the wall. But first, he had to weep over the ruins. Let me just pause here for just a second. Um, Let us not be foolish to think that leadership requires us to put our feelings aside. And that we have to lead from a place of stoic strength. If that's who you are, then that's awesome. But we need to lead from, we need to be able to be... um, access our feelings and, and move from them because it is, be, it is because that Nehemiah felt for his people and because he had that emotional response of what God revealed to him and because he mourned about what was happening in the city that led him to the greatest place of strength ever. It led him to prayer. 
He didn't stay in those emotions, but it led him to the best place that he could possibly go, and it led him to prayer. So when we talk about reformation, which is often a head activity, let us not leave our hearts out of this exercise because God wants to speak to our hearts so that we will pray. And then like Nehemiah, we would be people of action. One other important thing to note out of this section, I think, is that Nehemiah's initial response to the fact um, that the wall has yet to be built. So there's been two waves of people that have already gone. And notice that he doesn't criticize that the walls have yet to be built. His expression is compassion. Nehemiah doesn't get angry or annoyed with those who have gone before him. Um, they haven't, uh, he hasn't sort of gone like, what are you guys, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Why haven't you mobilized a group yet? Um, he just prays. He has compassion and he prays. So the challenge from that concept for me, which I'm also going to present to you, is this. When things come up, when we learn something that grieves us, when we are burdened for our people, whether that's humanity, whether that's the church, when God opens up our eyes to see as things really are, what is our response? Do we first criticize? those who have gone before us, unappreciative of the terrain that they would have experienced? Or do we come up with our own strategies and try to figure out how we're going to make things better? Or do we bring ourselves to our knees and pray for our brothers and sisters? That is the position that Nehemiah takes, and I'm quite challenged by that, that we would not be people of criticism but that we would be people of compassion. Prayer first, and then making ourselves available for action of what God's action looks like. So, his prayer moves on to a prayer of acknowledgement. In verses 5 and 6, it says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive to, and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant um, who is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. This phrase is such an amazing phrase and shows us how we are to position ourselves before God. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. I'm, when I first read this, I was completely um, trans, like, transported to our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Very similar, isn't it? See, a reformed follower of Christ seeks to put God first. In our prayer, we put God first. Nehemiah is proving that he is being reformed through prayer. That the people of God, the reason why they were in exile is because they didn't put God first. They forgot. They didn't acknowledge who he was. They didn't say, you are God, you are awesome, you are great. They forgot. And so even this prayer is an example of the reformation of God's people and the reformation of God's uh, follower, Nehemiah. 
He's coming back to that place of love and obedience of God's commandments. So when we focus on who God is in our prayer, it keeps his holiness, his greatness, his awesomeness at the forefront. It keeps him in the throne of our hearts. It keeps him God. And it keeps us in the position of servants. When we are reformed, it means that we take that place and that attitude of humility. Not telling God what to do. Because goodness, I am guilty of that. I am. I'm sure you are too because we're human beings. <laughs> right? But this position to begin here to say, Lord the God of heaven. It keeps our positions, acknowledges he is God, I am not. And when we come from that place in our prayer, things make more sense, <laughs> right? Things come into place better because it means that I am not the fixer of this problem. I am not the one that has to come up with the plan. No. The Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, he is the one who has the answers. He is the one who has the plan. I am simply the servant. Nehemiah resisted that natural temptation to take control, to determine what needs to happen. How's your control issue with God? Do you often take control? Or do you come before God and say, you are Lord, great and awesome? I'm, I struggle with my control issue. <laughs> and can I encourage you that when you start to pull that way towards trying to control God, to stop, acknowledge who he is, call on his names, great, awesome, holy, almighty. It puts us in the spot of servant and it puts him in the spot of God, Lord of our lives. Next, the prayer, this reformed prayer, as it moves from compassion to acknowledging who God is, then it moves to confession and obedience. We see in verses 6 uh, through 10, and it says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand. So Nehemiah confesses his sin, also his family's sin, also Israelites' sin. He didn't gloss over the transgressions of what had been, what had been done. He was honest and repentant. Repentance freed him, and it frees us to take the next step in our prayer and next step in our lives. 
our tendency is to look away. Our tendency is actually to start to condemn the sins of others often, not just to avoid our own, but to point out the sins of other people. Nehemiah shows us that a reformed life owns it. This is my sin. This is what I've done. And he shows us that it's not just it's that, that there's confession and then there's obedience to follow. And when we have that confession and obedience, the bringing back in is so beautiful. So if we want to be followers of Jesus, if we want to be reformed followers of Jesus, we have to be looking at ourselves. We have to be looking at confession. We have to call a spade a spade. Be honest with what we're dealing with. We don't want to be those, um, we don't want to be thinking, I'll deal with this later. That's just a whole whack load of trouble. A whole whack load of trouble. Deal with it now. Confess now. Start living in obedience now. That was what we were talking about with Ezra chapter 7, right? The idea that to be, um, to be transformed by the word of God, to be devoted to obey, and confession comes out of obedience because confession comes from the question, have I obeyed God's word? If I haven't obeyed God's word, then I need to confess that. And then obey God's word. So reformation, when we want re experience reformation in our lives, confession needs to follow. And then lastly, Jeremiah shows out of this prayer of reformation, um, a prayer of successful work. Which to me sounds a little bit funny. Because uh, we don't necessarily talk about success uh, like this in church. But this is what he says in verse 11. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, who is King Artaxerxes. So he's asking for favor. Now, Nehemiah's prayer for success is, um, isn't about just his personal success, his personal um, accl like acclamation, whether he gets a position or whether he gets a title. It's, and his prayer for success isn't about coping. It's not about coping. It's bigger than that. Because he could be looking at the, the issue. He could be remembering what um, Hananiah or what Hananiah, whatever the guy's name is, uh, his brother. Uh, he could be looking at what he said. and Oh, no, I'm going to be heading into something really big. And this is going to be, this is going to be brutal. Got to admit, that came out of my mouth thinking this year with COVID. Oh, my goodness, this is going to be brutal. Lord, help me. Anybody say a prayer like that? Yeah? Okay. So Nehemiah, he's saying, Lord, success isn't about coping. It's not about just getting through. 
This success here has everything to do with what is in verse 9, which is God's redeeming work of bringing the people back to Jerusalem. So success for Nehemiah has everything to do with God's work and God's intentions. It's not about his own plans. It's not about that at all. His eyes are not on his personal advantage. His eyes are on God's plan of redeeming his people. In fact, at this point, Nehemiah doesn't even have a plan yet. He doesn't even have a plan yet to ask God for success for. He's just saying, give me success, and that's probably going to need to have some sort of action with King Artaxerxes. He doesn't have a plan yet. So Nehemiah shows us that it's totally, it's great. We need to be asking for success when it's about God's work. That's a place of humility. If we're asking for success simply for our own accolade, well, that's pride. But if we're asking for success to be a part of God's redeeming work, let's ask for success, right? That, is, that needs success. And so here we are, having, um, before the wall has ever been built, Nehemiah is praying this prayer. Before he has become the builder, before he has become the governor, he is praying. And he is building the foundation of his own house. And he's building the foundation of a city that's 800 miles away because he's praying. He hasn't put his hand to a tool yet. He's praying. And so because he's praying, he's building a foundation. So last year, or last year, last week, Gavin showed you the the sailboat, which was a gift that his father-in-law gave him uh, when he was ordained. I got a gift too. And it was funny because as he was sharing this story last week about his gift from his father-in-law, I was like, oh my gosh. Well, I got to share my gift with everybody. So um, during ordination, um, my brother, Glenn, um, he gave me this, this scarf. And he gave me this scarf um, as a reminder of the mantle that I was stepping into. And when I, when I received this, there was, uh, within me, I, I took on the sort of the reminder of, this is like a prayer shawl. And to me, this has been always a reminder of, I have been, I've been, I've stepped into a position. And if I've stepped into a position, and if I've made myself available for God to use, however he so cho- chose to use me, then I have to be a woman of prayer. I have to be a person of prayer if I'm going to ever step into places of success, of being a part of God's redeeming work. I have to pray. I have to be that person because if I don't, I will not be successful. I will be self-reliant and I will not be successful. So if I can encourage you 
to remember that it is not just about a position, remember, right? It's not just about whether we have a title in front of our name. It has everything to do with living out our place in God's redeeming story. And if we're living out our place in God's redeeming story, then we have to put ourselves in a place of prayer. Because for us to experience reformation, we have to start with prayer. I'm very challenged by this. This has really changed my life um, as I've been looking at this. And so I would just encourage you, whoa, dear, to be mindful. Partner your, your scripture, partner your reading in your word, partner your devotion and study to God's word with prayer. Lean on the Lord, trust him, and he will make things successful because it's his redeeming story. It's not our plan. It's his redeeming story. Can I pray for you guys? Lord, I thank you so much for who you are. You are God. Lord, great and awesome. Holy is your name. We thank you that the God of all creation cares so deeply for us and invites us to participate in your redeeming story and in your redeeming plans. God, would you empower us and strengthen us through your spirit, empower us to be people of prayer who are um, led by compassion, who seek you always, who are humble enough to confess and obey your word and then seek your success, whatever that means for you, God. May we be those kinds of people, people of prayer. Lord, thank you so much that we never do that alone. That's not in our own efforts, but it is with your, with your help, and we thank you for that. Lord, I thank you so much for this group of people. I thank you so much for these students, for what you're doing in their lives, for how you're speaking to them so personally. God, I thank you for what you're revealing to them, what needs to be changed, what needs to be restored, what needs to be empowered. Lord, would you continue to speak to their spirits? Would you continue to strengthen them, aliven them, empower them, and fan the flame of passion that is deep within them? Lord, may we go, whether that's just to lunch or whether that's to wherever else we go in, this, in, in Abbotsford or wherever, but may we go and always be great examples of your love and your compassion. I pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.